Hi everybody, this is Neil Warren with episode 13 of the Happy Hour Harmonica podcast. Thanks to my sponsor, the Lone Wolf Blues Company, makers of effects pedals, microphones and more, designed for harmonica. Remember, when you want control over your tone, you want Lone Wolf. If you like the podcast, uh, please remember to subscribe and you can hear most of the songs discussed on the Spotify playlist. So Lee Oscar joins me today. Uh, Lee left his native Denmark to move to the US at the age of 18 and was soon enjoying phenomenal success with the rock funk band War. Interweaving his soulful harmonica lines into the horn section, Lee has also had numerous solo albums, releasing some of the most downright catchy harmonica melodies ever recorded. On top of all this, he set up his own harmonica company, leading the way with innovations such as replacement replays and different tunings. Hello, Lee Oscar, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for having me on board. Starting out with your name, Lee Oscar. Um, I understand Oscar isn't your original name. It's Levitin. Well, my, my full name is Lee Oscar Levitin. In uh, business, I go just by Lee Oscar. So you're originally from, uh, from Copenhagen in Denmark. What was it right? Look, what was the harmonica scene like in Copenhagen, your early influences that got you interested? My neighborhood. You know, harmonica was more of a novelty thing. 1954, I believe. I was, yeah, I was six years old. That's when an American came to visit my family and I. He knew harmonica was the end thing. And so I got my harmonica and I was in love with it from the moment uh, I breathed on it. Great. So six years old, that is an early beginning then. So had you heard any harmonica music at that point? <clears throat> Not really. Uh, you know, it's interesting how markets have changed. Like back then, the, the only thing I had to listen to musically, it was uh, really just the radio. And radio didn't have different genres of music. It was music. And I don't recall anybody really harmonica. That was much later on I learned about Larry Adler and that. As you grew up then and became a teenager, did you have any more influences then around harmonica music that you were listening to? I know. Not, I didn't even own a... Uh, I didn't have a record player or anything till I got... Uh, in the United States, and I got with Eric Burton. Um, up to then, I never even owned a record player. So, do you recall what were you playing in these early in these early years of playing the harmonica? Then, just make up whatever I was composing from the get go. The only difference is back when I first started, I would uh, I knew that I couldn't repeat the same thing, so I would just make stuff up and pretend I knew what I was doing. I read a quote that. Um you were believed to be musically hopeless as a child and the, and the harmonica saved you from that. Well, yeah. I, what I'm referring to is that I'm profoundly, I mean, I'm so into music, uh, it, it, it lived. But I would have probably been considered musically hopeless, putting myself down as being musically hopeless because the public in general refers somebody, if they can't play an instrument, that they're musically hopeless. And that window that made me feel I could do music was the harmonica. There's no other window that was open. I mean, like, there's nothing else to this day I really play. I hear in my head uh, cellos, violins. I hear arrangements. I, I hear so much. And uh, finally able to apply it, to this day, um, I would have been musically hopeless. 
So, yeah, harmonica was my window opportunity to actually play rather than just feeling it and hearing it. But uh, so you, you didn't play any other instruments? You didn't have any lessons, piano lessons, anything like that when you were young? Not at all. They were probably the worst thing that could have happened to me. Because if they thought I was musically inclined, they would have checked me off to Monica. I always say that and put me on what they thought would be a, a worthy instrument for someone potentially in music. And there would be a piano or a violin. And uh, thank God that I was so far away from even being recognized in anything that's that valuable in music that I was literally left alone. A lot of people I speak to on here, you know, they, they drew a lot of early inspiration from listening to a lot of the, you know, the classic blues harmonica players. Did you have that at some point in your teenage years? Did you start to discover other harmonica players and listen to them at some point? Uh, not at all. My first introduction to, uh, if it's harmonica playing specifically for blues, was uh, in America, Little Walter. And that. Uh, I just heard it and it was like, I thought it was amazing. But my first influence that I really really, really uh, was inspiring in the way I've always been playing, like like making stuff up, but they kind of like, my it's my voice was when I heard Ray Charles. Absolutely. It was fantastic. And of course, you did the song, uh, song for Ray as a, as a tribute to Ray Charles. play a, a great eclectic mix of, of styles and genres from your albums you know maybe that showed that because you weren't pushed in blues direction which a lot of harmonica players are in, in the early days that you know you were very open to playing all these different styles and i think my influence basically in music is just uh like folks singing and playing i mean my it's not a specific thing i mean you know listen to radio i mean there was a Bueling singing an opera. There was Perry Como. I remember some of my favorite. There was all kinds of things on the same radio, you know, and it was all just very, very inspiring. And I would always imagine myself as a conductor and playing. But the blues, the genre of blues that you're referring to between the one, four, five changes, basically, and most of today's dominant chords, who would, who doesn't like those? Those are amazing chord changes between a one and four, and one four and five, or one and five. I mean, you can't go wrong with that stuff. So it's been a canvas for a lot of music, different spins that they have different genre names. But basically, those particular motifs are. I mean, you can't go wrong. You, you gotta love it, and I've always loved blues for that reasons. So, as you say, Ray Charles, he's played a lot of, uh, obviously a lot of horn players with him. So did that push you in the direction of, you know, trying to learn horn lines on the harmonica, which is something you definitely went on to do, we'll go on to in a second? Not at all. I don't know where it came from, but it came from, from way when I was a kid. I would always visualize doing like what you might call horn lines, but it's basically, you know, I think of harmonica with the, with the other brass. And I just was always wanted to, play with somebody else, play a melody. I would come up with a melody and somebody played that with me, you know, that kind of thing. And so it was very exciting uh, to think about saxophone and harmonica, flute and harmonica. You know, I didn't, I didn't care who it was, you know, just somebody played his line with me. Uh, that was, uh, that was my way in the path of uh, calling it horn lines. Um, so I was very fortunate when I finally got to exercise my dreams when I got with Eric Burton. He embraced my ideas and uh, 
me and Charles Miller, saxophone player from war, I mean, that was like a, a love affair, man, just to have harmonica and saxophone playing together. It was like, wow, I was just dream come true. So you then made the decision at the age of 18 to, to move from Denmark to New York in America. Came to the United States in 1966, correct. Uh, so what, what inspired that decision? Was that a musical decision? Absolutely. In the 60s, um, I wanted to come to the United States. I mean, there was only two places in the world that seemed like there was like the music industry was the UK or England, particularly, and the United States. I mean, all ambition, just just really, really, really wanted to be part of that. And there was nowhere else in the world. I mean, uh, Denmark, are you kidding me? You know, you would have to be a profound jazz guy for them to even accept you to do something other than classical music. My sandbox was wide open. <laughs> I wasn't anybody else's sandbox, and I just wanted to come to the United States and, and make it. So you moved to uh, to New York initially, and you spent some time over there, but then you you eventually ended up in Los Angeles. So what about that transition? Was there much happening in New York before, before you went west to Los Angeles? New York, New York was very scary. It was scary, I think, to a lot of people. And on top of that, it was like I wasn't uh, familiar with the culture, and uh, there were some people there that took interest, but I was I didn't know enough to I knew that I need to go to Los Angeles. I mean that was that's where uh, the record industry was, and so I made it to the United States. I mean I made it to uh, L.A. So you into to Los Angeles, and there it's there that you met Eric Burden, and that was uh, when things started taking off. That was the first actually reality of like feeling just amazed because I was, I mean, first of all, jamming with Eric Burton and the whole scene there that I was, the door was always open for me to come in without having to pay. And I met Eric Burton and he was a superstar. I mean, he was same level, the animals as the Rolling Stones and Mick Jagger. I mean, he was like, and uh, we got to jam together with the band called Blues Image and, uh, I was obviously looking, still trying to look for a deal or something to be part of. Here he comes along and embraced my playing, my energy and everything, and was uh, there with him. And uh, things evolved. It was unbelievable. And this then led on to the formation of the band War. Yeah. Basically, when I met Eric, he had already uh, shut down the, the new animals, as he called it. And then the jamming in the same place I was playing, and we sat in. But then he wanted to f- form another band, and he really wanted me to be part of it. And we went to a club to check out this band that had that already is, were together, and they were called The Night Shift. And that same band, uh, uh, minus a few people, the nucleus of that band, I should say, and Eric and myself sat around in a swimming pool. After Eric and I went down to check out the band, and I sat in and jammed with them. Next day, we were on a swimming pool in Hollywood, and... It was amazing. That's when we came up with the name War, and that's when it's part of something, my dream coming true. So so the, so War formed in, in the late 60s and, and went on some fantastic success through the 70s. So, uh, you know, a real mixture of, of genres, you know, a kind of a, a kind of funk rock band playing R&B and jazz and rock and sort of Latin influences. So that suited your, your taste in harmonica. Yeah, it's it's funny because when I first got with Eric Nett, I wanted just to, I wanted blues. I mean, I just loved, like I said, those those chord changes. My roots, you know, I wasn't conscious of it. It's very, I'm I'm a melody. I write mel. I compose melodies. I mean, that's what I am. But then you got to have the dirt and the other stuff. I mean, 
and I love all that. Everything we did as war, I felt that I, I was totally, I mean, I was like my family. I was totally loyal. Anything I created musically or anybody did, I felt it, I felt it belonged to us as war. And I didn't really think about consciously that most of the things we created as war was even if somebody would bring a, a great idea in like Howard Scott, Cisco Kid, or Slipping the Darkness, we basically embraced the stuff and we, we developed it in natural ways of jamming it and recording it. And so half of the stuff that we do is an arrangement uh, that really is part of the composition. When I would come into the studio and say, hey, I got this melody in that, and they would try, and I realized it didn't fit. Uh, that's when I decided I want to do my solo albums, and I hoped everybody else would do things that didn't fit within what we do together naturally. So there would be like everybody would have their own albums out, including what we do together as war. You know, that was uh, an amazing dream that I wanted to see happen. And I did my own solo album for that reason. That's why the first album cover even has the on the harmonica, it has the name War on it, and even get guys credit, even though they didn't write any of it, because I wanted everybody to feel part of it. Then I realized, because I love playing blues and that, then I realized people are going to be surprised when they, because they're going to expect, when they hear me, that I, oh, Leosk is doing a solo album, so they expect it, because of harmonica, they expect it to be a blues album. And I had all these other things in me that I wanted to do, and nobody would ever expect that, or even, it was even strange to, to the ears to hear harmonic minor, that first solo album I did. So I, I assume once once they they uh, found that interesting and I got and I got people embracing that, then eventually I would come out with a blues album and they would be surprised again and would love it. You know, instead of just being a blues album, it's just a not ordinary thing because it's harmonica. Yeah. And what I didn't realize is that uh, in the meantime, the industry is forming more and more of a homogenized things with becoming categories, and uh, so blues has its own clique. And because I wasn't, con- I wasn't looked at as being a, a blues harmonica player, once they heard my solo albums, I was totally, um, I don't want to say outcast, but it was like there's a wall right there where this cliche thing of what is blues, and people would say, oh, Lee Oscar don't play blues. Well, you know, Miles Davis don't play blues either. Coltrane, no, they all play blues. I mean, that's what I am. I'm a blues player. But blues can be implied with more than just the one, four, five changes. It's the, it's the way you express. It's the attitude. It's the feeling. It's not just uh, the form of a, of a composition. So yeah, War again they had great success through the seventies. You had the um, the album "The World Is a Ghetto," which was on the the best selling album of nineteen seventy three in, in, mm-hmm. in America on the Billboard chart there. So and a lot of great great harmonica uh, on that album as well. You know, "Where Was You At" is one of the songs and. Your approach to playing harmonica in war, just interested in that because, as you say, you're interested in melodies, very much riff-based. There's a lot of instruments in war, isn't there? You've got various horns, a lot of different instruments. So how did you fit the harmonica in with all that, you know, and the place of the harmonica in that band with so much going on? Well, uh, it's back to uh, the, my my vision is to be part of a band and be, um, if I'm not soloing, uh, be uh, really uh, in the motif as doing counter lines, melody lines that I called, and always with a saxophone as as much as it works, so in or without the sax, but it's it's counter lines. It's it's what I would call horn lines. I've learned to understand myself and to explain something is that music 
It's not filling in space. Music is creating space. And I find what I'm good at is, is composing melodies or counterlines. And it's basically, it's not sitting methodically. It's like if someone goes, plays a riff, uh, I can react to it with a riff. And that creates more space. Uh, so counterlines are got to be just as strong as the melody line that the lyrics or without lyrics is, you know, the main melody. It's just really that. And phrasing. I mean, there are two things in, in the music in creating space. It's your phrasing and the pocket. That's basically it. And So talking about your melody, so, um, but we can't talk about you playing with War without talking about the song Low Rider. And you created quite possibly the most memorable harmonica riff ever, ever come up with on that song Low Rider. Charles Miller and I was out of the studio. We were, uh, we were uh, out on the pier. By the time we were, we gave up. Uh, it was like maybe six in the morning. We knew that you knew the guys were in the studio, and we went in, and uh, they had just laid a track down that uh, that was for Lowrider. And Charles went in there, and he started immediately start singing low, ra, you know, just. And then I went da 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 da. Da, 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 da. You know, just wherever it comes from, just like anything else when I when we create or compose or whatever. That's pretty much it. There was a, there was a, an amazing thing happened with uh, in 1970. Um, Jimi Hendrix's last performance before he died the next day was with War at Ronnie Scott's in London. Were you at that gig? Yes, I was. I Jimi was standing right next to me, and I used to look forward to playing Mother Earth which is a great blues tune. And I, I always look forward to doing the solo in that. And, and when Jimmy was on stage with us, uh, you know, of course, I stood back and let Jimmy have that space. And it was amazing. Just to emphasize again, you know, that Jimi Hendrix played, sat in with you for the, for the, la- the second part of your set that night and then sadly died the next morning. So uh, you, you heard the news. I guess that was pretty shocking to the whole world when, uh, when he died. It was. Um, we were on stage playing, and uh, he was leaning against the wall. He, I mean, he wasn't doing great, but he, he sounded amazing. And the next day, he was supposed to come back, and that's when the call came from Monique, the, his German girlfriend who lived in London, called uh, Ronnie Scott's. And so she did. And uh, when we got off stage, then Eric split, and uh, myself and a friend, we were just walking around London just in total shock, you know. So you, you, stayed, you stayed with war. Well, war, war, war was around until 1994. So as you say, you were doing your own solo projects between that time. So did you stay with war for all that time before you then formed the Low Rider Band, which is a, uh, some of the members from war, you formed, formed the Low Rider Band? You know, Neil, it's, it's not so cut and dry. It, it's uh, crazy how things got. Totally unseparable as a band, but then things started to happen with the business and the legal stuff, and and I just finally had to um, to not be in the conflict with uh, my harmonica company. I had to uh, drop out, 
so you did a solo album in 1976, which was called uh, Lee Oscar. The first three songs on that album are... Uh, or symphonies, uh, you know, you've got the, the word symphony uh, as part of the, the title song. So I remember home uh, symphony, isn't it? Those compositions, I remember home, peasant symphony, the journey, the peasant symphony, you know, that, the Journey, The Immigrant, and Promised Land. Those are like three movements I composed, and I was going to do it with war. That's why I went in the studio and uh, the ideas. And that's when I realized that some things creatively that is in within each of us may not be part of the, what marinates as war, you know. Uh, you had Before the Rain in 1978, which, I, uh, if I've got this right, was, uh, it was probably your biggest hit as an album and again almost a kind of concept album in a way because uh, the song uh, before the rain you've got this section at the end where you've got like the rain sound for like getting on for a minute yeah so it's great i, I love that song it's again it's a long song You've got this kind of long section at the end where, where rain is playing. So, what about that song and that album? Well, I was I'm always into sound, and I create. I have a I love ambience and all that. And what inspired me to even get more into it uh, was when when I was hanging out with Mickey Hart from The Grateful Dead, and he was so into ambience and sounds, and uh, and I love that stuff myself. Mm. And so I got the right gear to record and and matter of fact that was in mickey hart's uh, ranch when i recorded the rain because there was like a metal you know roof and so you could hear the the rain ah, i just love that it was just all to me to me everything i did musically even with war i was always i always wanted to be a journey the, the fact that uh, uh, something's got to be only three minutes and 58 seconds back then for to play on radio that usually was a lot of edits just so you know, Neil, the fact that when we were like one of the first bands uh, as war even to play live on television because they want to keep rock and, ro- rock and roll, remember all that stuff out, we, we just jammed. And so when they were doing the test run with, you know, before the actual video, just to get position with the cameras, we were into the tune, uh, whatever tune it was, maybe Cisco Kid or something. And, and then 10 minutes later, you can, you can, we open your eyes, you can feel they've been trying to stop us. And uh, they would say, no, it said, your record is three minutes and 58 seconds. We never had the mentality until uh, after the fact, okay, we got to edit this now and do this to make it a single, you know. So everything is, in my philosophy, is about the music. And so that Before the Rain song, is that it's right you're playing that on a D-flat harmonica? Yeah, I played first position, D-flat, and then when I solo, I just used, you know, second position, F-sharp. So then um, another successful album for you, the, the My Road, Our Road. Was that a movie soundtrack album? Yes, My Road. After I created it, My Road, I composed My Road and then and produced that Our Road. Um, there was a Japanese um, film director who loved My Road, and he created a movie around that composition, my recording. 
And that about a Japanese guy who comes to the United States and hitchhiking and the scenarios he goes to and all the cliches. Thing. If, you know, but uh, for whatever it's worth, I mean, you know, it's made to seem like I composed that for the film. But the honest truth is I, I composed it and recorded it and then they used it for a movie theme. Okay, yeah, so it sort of came after because it suits it suits that sort of sound, doesn't it? It's like it's got that kind of movie soundtrack sound about it, that album. Uh, well, and then getting into the so nineteen eighties that album, then getting into the eighties, you did a few albums um with bands in Japan. Was this the start of your journey to finding Tombow to setting up your harmonica company? Is that is that the Jap- Japanese connection? Yeah, I mean I was uh doing a lot of stuff in Japan, including uh composing and uh for commercials, for for TV commercials in Japan, I would come over quite a bit to do, uh, compose music for their commercials. You know, Budweiser, Mitsubishi, you name it. And I was also very tight with a Furusawa, the drummer. Whenever I would go out there on some tours, I mean, with all the locals, local musicians and all local places, from Hokkaido all the way down to Kyushu, Japan, uh, every little town, I would be playing with uh, Japanese, so we call Lee Oscar and Japanese friends. And so all my activities there, um, I, I heard a harmonica playing down the hallway and knocked on the door, and there was Kan Manaka playing a tremolo. Invited myself in and looked at the harmonica, and I saw the name Tombo, and I've been in a quest to collaborate with with a factory that makes harmonicas for a long time. And so here was it was uh, an opportunity that fortunately uh, came true. I mean, they were fans. Uh, they're like, now they're like 103 years old, Tombow Factory. Uh, so they're going on five generations. They were fans of my first solo album because it was big with, with uh, Shiseido uh, Women Cosmetic commercial. So I was very fortunate that they already were of me. And then I told them I want to have my designs and ideas and with their expertise, uh, dream come true again so getting onto your harmonicas now so first of all i have a harmonica which is signed by you on on the on the cover plate so i won this harmonica in a competition at some point many years ago now oh. and and i also received your album so much in love so i got sent this harmonica and i've still got this engraved signature by you and i i, I changed the cover plate onto another one you know which was uh, which is in better condition because it was quite an old one at this point so i do have a signed harmonica from you lee which i've had for many years now but uh, but just briefly before we get onto your thing, that the album "So Much in Love," um, that song again is another great example of uh, you know such catchy melodies. I was I've been listening to your music over the last few days, and that song particularly "So Much in Love," what a catchy melody! I couldn't get it out of my head. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Just, just on a side note on that, I, I'm just finishing producing uh, other artists. I formed my record label, and uh, then, the, oh, and then the album that is already released uh, by Miyazaki. He's a Japanese saxophone player. He's amazing. He's doing all the Oscar compositions that I produced, and he's doing a version of "So Much in Love." That's even to me much better than uh, the one that came from the album you talk about. Coming then to your, um, you, you know, you're very well known, obviously, for the range of Lee Oscar harmonicas. This came about from 
your own, you know, you were retuning harmonicas at this point yourself, yeah, for, for your, so you could, they could meet what you needed from the music that you were playing. Is that what started you off on the idea about creating your own harmonica company? It, it wasn't about the tunings. That would be part of it. I mean, with or without the tunings, it was literally, I was very frustrated with the quality, just basically what was available on the market. I would never, ever even think of, want to be involved in manufacturing if I wasn't so frustrated with what existed. You know, I mean, maybe one out of every 10 harmonicas that was available in the market was only, uh, was only good. The other nine, uh, I would have to tinker with and whatever to make it right. And, and I would never even have known how bad the quality of harmonicas were out there till, I covered it, till after I covered Eric Burden. And every penny I got, I would spend on harmonicas that's when I literally found out how bad the image of harmonica and the quality. The roadies bring this huge case the size of a big refrigerator with 12 drawers. Bring it on stage even. I mean, it was heavy. And bring it on stage, it was just full of 12 different keys. And I would just go through it even while I'm on stage playing. And, you know, so that's what led me to it. And then the tunings was always part of the thing that I always wanted to... Um, have available. Bert Bacharach hired me for a session, Bert Bacharach and Roberta Flagg. And uh, I was so embarrassed. I even think if somebody's really good with oil blows, they would not have, they would not have made it with this session. Because, you know, passing notes with, with uh, oil blows is one thing, but to play pristine the note and lean on it as part of the melody, that's very, very difficult, even for people who really do well with oil blows. And this beautiful tune, this beautiful song that Bert Bacharach and Roberta Flack were producing on Roberta Flack, I was hired, and all, and I couldn't get I couldn't get that seventh, that minor seventh, you know, on a on a draw was just no matter how much I tried with my lack of overblow techniques, but still were able to do it somewhat in passing notes, did not cut it, and I I I, I was humiliated and embarrassed. And that's when I decided um, to start coming out with these different tunings. Because, you know, there was no room for me to sit there. I didn't have a toolkit. There was no room for me to do the stuff that I would be prepared since that bad experience. So had your harmonica range already come out by the, and then you added different tunings later? Well, when I first started with Tombo in, uh, in the late 70s, you know, just preparing, I learned about manufacturing that there's no room for impulse. I mean, I had so many ideas. I had a list of so many different tunings and different things I wanted to do. And machines uh, and setup and manufacturing, there's no room for all that. You've you got to start small and you've got to decide exactly what you want to do, whether it's equal tuning or temper tuning and whatever. So I came out with the major diatonic, harmonic minor, and then soon after added the natural minor. And then I said, you know, even though I, you can use the natural minor to play the relative major, let's do, let's do what I decided to call the melody maker. And so all that, all that was within, uh, you know, um, a year from the time I came out to a year later, the melody maker. Yeah, so that must have been pretty innovative at the time. Uh, harmonic minor was, was uh, old. That was because of German Umbin music, uh, symphonic stuff. It was uh, a certain ten hole, and it was literally uh, a mic minor. But even my solo album, and all that, that was all uh, my tu- me tuning, you know, to make that. I've, I remember home that stuff. 
that's before I had Lee Oscar, uh, Lee Oscar harmonicas. Do you play different tunings on on your solo albums, don't you? So, do you is that information available anywhere around which tunings you're playing on which songs? The only thing that I played that was altered was the uh, what there's a harmonic minor from a major diatonic, and that would have been that's a B harmonic minor. Everything else was just straight major diatonic. Again, so your company, you you came up and you know tremendous success for you must be really proud of what you've done with the oscar harmonicas again i think you led the way with different tunings and i think those harmonicas were very good quality harmonicas and have been for a long time uh, like you say that was that was probably one of your main drivers because of the lack of quality in some of the other harmonicas around at the time so they stood up really well didn't they those the oscar harmonicas you know my needs and what i was on a quest for it didn't give the answers that was uh that was what I would settle with uh, starting there. But the credit, unfortunately, was that Tombow themselves, mm. amazing, amazing loyalty to make the best quality. I mean, it's a, it's a commitment from the great-grandfather. I mean, their, their whole family and the generations and what they have been through, uh, nothing but respect and their quality control is next to none. And... It's been an amazing ride. I mean, everything I've been in business doing since I started with Tumble, not just the quality of my product, even the the, the business or the logistics of shipping and every everything is just perfect. I've never had a headache in my relationship in business with with Tumble with the Mono family. It's it's funny. It's like I don't have to put fires out, and when somebody complains about my harmonica. I know, uh, you know, usually it's the two, you know, the two and three draw, which is common difficulty. Mm. And I love the fact that I can even personally get on the phone, not just have one of our texts, but on the phone and walk them through it. And then they end up being more than happy because they learned, took the mystery out of harmonica and they can appreciate our quality. Yeah. And that's what I live for is that uh, it's not just honking on it. They can really, once they understand enough about it, then they can really appreciate the subtleties of what makes our harmonica better than anything else I've ever had. I mean, over the last 10 or 20 years or so, the, the harmonicas have really revolutionized. The quality has really gone up, hasn't it? You've got... it? It certainly has. So, but I mean, the Oscar's still still going well. Yeah, still going strong. You're still, uh, you're still out there producing and selling well your harmonica range, yeah? We're about 30% of the market. Yeah. That's pretty incredible, yeah. Which... It's changing because things are online now, but as far as when it was brick and mortar stores and all that, it was basically, proportional-wise, Horner and Lee Oscar. And I would say, out of every 10, seven Horner and three Lee Oscars. And, and still going strong. I mean, you, you're, you're still innovating. I think you've released some more um, low tunings in different keys, haven't you, quite recently. So you're still, you're still uh, working on developments and innovations. Absolutely. We, we have added um, four more low keys. So we always had the low F. But now we have low F sharp and low E, low D and low C. And uh, the reason why we do a low F sharp is because a lot of people like to tune down a half a step on the guitar. And that's, so there's the, yeah. the F sharp. And a low E because a lot of people play straight harp and they play in key of E on the guitar. And, and you know, normal E is, is a little on the high side for yeah. unless somebody has really good tone, you know. And then, of course, low C and low D are... But uh, I do want to say that we, a few things we're coming out with. Um, well, right now we just came out with four more melody makers, in four more keys. 
because the Malamagos are starting to do really, really well. A lot of people starting to, you know, recognize and uh, relying on the on that tuning. It's, it's our trademark in a sense. We're the ones that made that tuning, and we're the ones that called it the melody maker. And now you got another company copying us, and it's called it the melodic maker. And talked about that tuning with on recent podcasts and talking to guys like Charlie McCoy. So the melody maker has got so it's got the A. The A note in the bottom octave on the C harmonica, and then it's got the F sharp on the five draw. So you've basically got a, a second position major scale, yeah. Charlie McCoy's got the you know the typical, which is very important, so you can have both your your seventh and your flattest seventh on a major diatonic on the five draw. You know, if you're playing second position, then you're playing a minor seventh. But by having if it's a C harp and the F now is on the five draw, is an F sharp. Uh, Charlie McCoy has done that for a long time. The the, the ray, like do ray, you know, the second note in the scale, mm. if without have to bend, is very important to a lot of people. Oh yeah. And when you play, so when you play melodies in second position, the, you don't need the same note on the th- on the three blowers, the two draw, because you're not going from a one to a five chord. So do ray, so G A on the, you know three blowers and a but the chord wise is really important too because now you can play not just dominant and now you can play uh, a reggae or a clave african you can play so many things starting from blow with an a minor seventh on that g melody maker uh relative to the c or you can play the g major seventh uh, you know chord. so it opens up a lot of windows i've got letters from one student musician say told me he was out of uk when he got a hold of one, he said, you give me a whole new career. And I think that, is a, as, that was pretty happy to hear that. That was wonderful. Right. So we came out, you know, initially, because, you know, it takes time for things to catch on. We came out in the five keys. And that's based on, this, on the common keys guitar players play in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now there's a lot of people who have found out about it and has loved it. And they want to have it in the keys that are more or less for the horn players and all that. So we came out with B-flat, E-flat, high C, because the normal C is low. Mm. So now the high C is like the like the F major diatonic as a high C melody maker. And so also a B-flat melody maker. People have been waiting. We're just getting them out. And uh, so we had the melody maker as the major diatonic, but we're also coming out with a tremolo uh, that will hopefully be soon out. It's Idea's been around for quite a while with us, and it's called the Hawaiian harmonica. Mm-hmm. And basically, I look at the Germans, they got the Alps, and tremolo has been a very popular harmonica sound in, in the old days in Europe, and it still is in Asia. So I decided I want to come out with a tremolo and call it a Hawaiian harmonica, and it's the, and it'll be a beautiful-looking harmonica with, uh, with the Hawaiian islands on it. And that's going to be released hopefully later this year. I understand that Junior Wells is such a fan of your uh, harmonicas that he actually was buried with a tray of them. That's what the rumor is. I know that they, I know some of the Lias harmonicas were put in the grave with them. I guess it was a tray. I don't know. I was there, but I don't recall exactly how many. Yeah, he was, he was a great guy. Uh, I should also mention that we, you know, we have the interchangeable replays. We, you know, we were the pioneer of that stuff yeah. and, and it does well. But we stopped making the toolkit only because I, I was not happy with the quality. And I knew that high-quality stuff, people have to pay more money, and a lot of people really think tools are worth. But I still didn't want to keep it out there. And we just 
We're just working on now getting a new toolkit together that's going to be amazing. Even the tool we created to put the nuts and bolts back, you know, some people, uh, if they all thumbs, they won't have a problem. So it's it's really, a, I'm very looking, very much looking forward to get that out as soon as possible. Yeah, it's a good idea. A lot of people now into doing their own maintenance, aren't they? Certainly I do my own. I do have one of your older toolkits, actually, but it's it's quite old now. I've lost a few parts, but yeah, it'd be interesting to check out the new one. And the, I think the low E is a really good idea as well. I don't actually have a low E. I have very, a few other low, e, low keys, but the low E is a very good idea, like you say, in first position. That's a... So, yeah, lots of innovations. Like you said, the change in the replays was something else which you guys came up with first as well. So, um, anything else you want to say about Liaska, you know, the, the, the manufacturing side before we move on? I just want to say that, um, that quality control is very, very important to us. And we have, and, and Tombo, and uh, I'm just very, very proud and happy. I can't emphasize enough to have that collaboration and uh, take the mystery out of the harmonica to a consumer and educate them. It's all part of it. It's not just uh, making a good harmonica, but educating people and the quality and all that. There's so much potential. We have barely touched on what what's all the possibilities are. We, I feel like the harmonica world is just getting started, as you say. Things are being improved and all that. We're going to be there for a long time. So I'm definitely looking forward to the continued ride. Definitely some great harmonicas you've made there. So, so well done. You've, you certainly added a lot to the uh, you know the, the harmonica instrument. So. Just talking about um, teaching, uh, so you do offer uh, for your website. There's a there's a, a teaching section, isn't it, which is actually taught by Steve Lockwood uh, on your website. Uh, Steve Lockwood, um, he's a brilliant harmonica teacher. Not only a really fine player, but his teaching is is just wonderful. I've seen him do amazing things to people that have tried hard with other resources and couldn't quite get there and. And so we, we indulge him. And we are also creating a product with him that will be uh, amazing tools for teaching that uh, uh, we're in the middle of putting together. So do you, do you, have you ever done any teaching yourself? I don't think so. I have knowledge. I'm a, I love doing workshops, but it's information. I can show somebody stuff and that, but I'm not a good teacher. So I would lean on more that I'm good for information how to tune and anything like that. But to actually literally teach somebody to play and all that, uh, it's not my cup of tea. You do do a little bit of singing, don't you? There's a few tunes that are known, like Why Can't We Be Friends? But I'm really not a singer. So I've I've always leaned on the music part, and singing is kind of like, I appreciate it. I love my melodies when lyrics are written to my melodies and I can hear a song. It's It's... It's amazing when that is married, but no. <laughs> I'd rather play my, my harmonica, play the melodies, and let uh, you know Howard Levy or someone like that collaborate with me, and he does the solos, and I'll play, and I'll be the singer. Certainly, something which stands out with your solo albums, you know, there's, there's some great arrangements on there. You know, you get you got quite, you've got strings on there, you've got horns on there. So, is it, you talked about composition. Are a lot of the songs on your albums, songs that you've written yourself. Pretty much everything I've composed myself. Yeah. I mean, there's some, there are some fantastic comp- compositions on there, like you're saying, very catchy melodies. and So does that include all the parts as well? Are you composing all the parts to all the songs, all the different instruments? The way in general, I, I also love producing. Half of the uh, 
arrangement is the chemistry of the people I put together. As far as different destruction about counterlines, whether it's the violin, the cello, or the horns, a lot of that is melody, counter melody lines I hear in my head. It's still keeping the magic of what somebody wants to contribute. I will sing the melody lines, like even on my road, Gene Page, I would sing the different cello and violin parts. And so he would take a tape recorder, come to my home, and record my my counter melodies, whether it's the, the cello or the viola or whatever. And then he would take his expertise, which is knowing about strings. Um, so it's a combination, but yeah. it, it always basically starts with my my melodies again, counter melodies, anything for someone to lean on to embellish. I mean, obviously, you know, you've had a very successful career, lots of solo albums as well as uh, The War and Low Rider. I mean, would you have any advice for uh, young bands or young harmonica players coming up today? Well, whether you're a harmonica, play harmonica, or just anything, I don't care if, you would sell, if we're selling apples, pears, fish, or harmonica. First of all, if you're in business, then know that it's not just how well you play. You also have to learn the business itself. So I always tell people, young people, you only earn what you know how to claim. And the other thing is, uh, if you're going to be true to your art, then you must understand how business works. So you have to be honest, not just about your music, but also be honest about, as you're hungry for acknowledgement, you have to be honest about not agreeing to something unless until you understand it. Everything else is just your canvas, and I'm not going to tell somebody else how to paint. I'm not going to tell somebody else how to play. It's your thing. If you connect with your soul, the harmonica or whatever instrument, you connect with your, with your soul and you as if it's one, then you're really connected to play music. Till then, it's, it's just a physical exercise. You hear somebody singing, and then they pick up the harmonica and play, or the guitar and play. If their phrasing on the guitar on the harmonica doesn't have the same persona as the way you sing, that tells me already that you're not in it. You're just you're playing the instrument from thinking rather than rather than just from your soul. So a question I ask each time is if you had ten minutes to practice, what would you spend those ten minutes doing? You know, I think uh it's good to play with good tone, play with phrasing, breathing. Take ten minutes every day when you're starting off and learn just learn to play a pure tone on the two draw or the three draw. Because you got to learn to play unconstricted air. You, you don't suck air. You breathe air. So every 10 minutes, uh, it's good to practice uh, getting nice tone. Do you play any chromatic harmonica? The push-button harmonica, I don't hardly play anymore. I, that was my first harmonica when I was six years old that I got. As I evolved and, and found it very much better for me, just the feel on the reed that, that that's instead of being four reeds in a harmonica, you know, there's a lot of air leakage. So I started leaning more on that. The occasional time I might pick up a push-button harmonica to do something. Uh, I can play partially chromatic by my tunings, the way it's set up, so I can get my blow bends. And, but I, I get by playing things with much more soul and feeling the way I play, uh, relying on my ten holes, yeah. 
So I would talk about we'll talk about gear now. So um, an, an easy answer for you is uh, what what brand of harmonic you play? I'm guessing you only play the Oscars. <laughs> you had to you had to ask me, right? <laughs> it sounds crazy, but um, that's all I use is Lee Oscars. If there was something I came across that I don't make and I would really need to use it for something musicality, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny myself of of that possibility. But there's been no need for anything uh, other than my product. Do you get specially made ones for you from the factory? That's the question. No. I use the same thing everybody else buys out of the box. Yeah. Even when I alter something, I do it myself by hand. And do you have a favorite key of harmonica? I can say that uh, whatever key that people are playing in, I got to play that, obviously. Uh, different positions sometimes, there are different sweet spots. So my choice of what key a harmonica is to play a certain position, it comes in to play at times. But in general, um, it's tough to say. It's like, what's my favorite color? Um, the sound to me of, of somewhere in the mid, you know, and it, you know what? It depends on the tune. You know, you can play the same composition, the exact same notation, but the composition comes out differently depending on what key you're playing it in and what octave and what key. So it really is all over the map. Depends on what the what the melody is or what it's supposed to be about. I mean, some keys are very melancholy, some keys are more happy, and some people some keys can be sad. So another question, which is um, got a pretty obvious uh, answer to you, which I ask each time, is: Do you, do you play any different tunings? So obviously, we know that we, you do play different tunings because you've got the you've got the four main tunings that Lee Oscar or harmonicas provide. So, is, are they all the tunings that you play? You know, there's some new compositions that uh, that I'm going to release soon, and the album is called "Never Forget." And I've gotten into composing some melodies with. Uh, an alter tuning from a from the harmonic minor that is just it'll tell your heart out. After you hear it for a little bit, then it almost seems normal. It's like just that musical, but it's a little. It's like double harmonic minor scale basically. So there's some new stuff that I'm coming out with that will have that. But that one, I wanted to mention something. You know, while we're talking about tunings, you know, it's interesting um, with our with our system, which is which is. Um, designed to be very friendly to take the cover plates and change the reed plates it's all very simple airtight with just three screws you know holding the reed plates in because it's all precise and the system is designed so we can also mix and match reed plates so if somebody wants like the patty richter scale as they call it it's it's really weird why would i want to come out with harmonica called the patty richter when you can uh you can serve yourself well by you just using the top reed plate from from let's say a G melody maker, and the draw reed plate from uh, you know f- from a C major diatonic. Yeah. Then you got a Patty Richter scale, and if you want to make a Dorian harmonica instead of the natural minor, just take the draw reed plate from a say a G natural minor and top reed plate from from a C major diatonic, and then there's all kinds of other options. That's what I want to do. Take the mystery out of because. It's a lot cheaper for the consumers and for any of us if we have if we educate people like that rather than buying a, a harmonica called the you know Patty Richter when you when you already have reed plates for the Leos harmonica system that you just flip you know, mix and match you know. Do you use any overblows? And again, maybe because of your tunings, you don't need them so much. But do you play overblows? 
Uh, I don't play old blows. I can sometimes feel com- I can do a passing note, and I hear a lot of people doing that. But for me, it's got the intonation, especially if I play harmonica with saxophone. I think it's got to be spot on. One of the things I love doing is, like I said, is to flat down a semitone to seven draw, and that way I got the minor third, and I can still from a blow bend, uh, I can get my third. But to do um, overblows and overdraws as pristine to the melody or the melody line or whatever, I don't lean on that very much, or hardly at all. Now, and what about your embouchure? I do both. Mostly I curve. Sometimes I'll play uh, the note, uh, the, the reed for tongue blocking. To anybody outside, they may not notice very subtle. But to me, it's a totally different, it's a warmer sound sometimes when you play with the tongue blocking. But I, most, of the, most of my melodies, uh, anything, individual notes uh, are, are perched. And then uh, in the middle of it, I might just hit the note uh, and tongue block. So it's, it's all over the map. What about amplifiers? People have to understand about applications. You can never add to sound. You can't take something and, and add to the sound. You can only take away to create the other sound. So microphone-wise, I use a, an M160 buyer, for example. It's a double ribbon. So it's very fast, a uh, microphone that's very fast response, and it's very clean and warm at the same time. So that means that the highs, the mids, and the lows are very even. And many microphones that are out there will spike the mids. And the only reason they're made like that is because we as human beings, most music we hear is in the mids. But however, harmonica is around 1K, 2K. It's the mids, the higher mids, and it can kill your ear if you spike the mids with a harmonica. And so that's, the, that's based on how you amplify it or what mic you're using. If somebody wants to have that dirty, you know, whatever they, they call the blues sound, which is silly. Blues has nothing to do with the sound, in my opinion. Then what they have to do is and they have to start with a microphone that the mids are so out there that it can kill your ear. And then you take compression, like a tube amp, but with compression, and you take that mids that you that are that are come poking way out there, and you pull it back. I mean, like pull it back so it's even with the highs and lows. That means the mids are like freaking shaking, like a like an angry monster, and that's what activates those tubes in in the amplifier. And now you got that gnarly sound, but it's still smooth because it's even with the highs and uh, highs and the lows, the mids. That's basically the theory and how you how people should get that sound. And a lot of people don't understand that and they're chasing after it. My sound, I like to have that high-end microphone that's like a great ear. And so I have much more to process. I can play through octave pedals. I can play through anything that they call guitar pedals, which is not. It's just an application that you can play harmonica through. But it'll track much better than some gnarly microphone that a lot of people use because my source is bigger and cleaner. Uh, so there's, there's two different philosophies about how to apply there. The other thing is an amplifier, like the old days, is, is to feed the audience. And it sits and stands behind you. So I use my own monitor, and it's called a powered speaker, with my own device. So I can control, my with my device, I control my level in front of me with the um, powered speaker. And then another signal out of my device into the sound, the house system. They can also give me another monitor with everybody else's uh, instrumentation coming through so I can hear uh, what they got out in the audience and what I, and my monitors that normally that I get a feed, 
plus my own monitor that I can control my level with just me in there. That makes a lot more sense to me because uh, it's in front of me and I can control my level and all that. I think a lot of people uh, just buying the story that everybody else says is the right way and not getting very experimental and not really understanding enough about applications to justify why they're doing what they're doing. And that's what people got to be educated about. And so you mentioned effects pedals. Do you use any particular effects pedals? For many years, um, I lean on the landscape of sounds. I lean on, of course, reverb. I lean on an octave pedal, and I lean on chorus a lot. I mean, I've done many other kinds of things in landscape of sounds, but those are the three essentials and the order you put in. So you go first to octave and then, then to chorus and then reverb. But I've been into where I wanted, like I didn't have a steel drum, so I created a wrong sound with steel drum, with the harmonica, by just understand the logic. The octave that you get on that bottom of a steel drum pan, there's kind of that really low octave resonance. So that would be an analog octave pedal. It feeds through the next one would be an envelope filter. And the envelope yeah. filter, I wanted it to be like, bang, bang, like, so it's a staccato, mm-hmm. ding, ding. And if you play to an envelope filter that has the right range, then it's then when you're playing staccato, just like on a steel drum, bing, ding, beep, 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 you're doing that, and you got that low octave thing with it, with the with the peak, the pick of the envelope filter, and some reverb. Now I can emulate a steel drum. If there's so many creative things you can do, rather than just saying, "Oh, that's a guitar pedal," you know. And every brand makes many different pedals. And they all call it octave pedals, but every one of them is a different sound of octave. So, yes, I use it all uh, at different times, and some things are more become the staple thing uh, that I choose. But um, it's all about sound for me. Final question, now, so thanks very much for your time. So uh, just uh, any future plans you've got coming up at the moment? Well, uh, most of the stuff that I'm getting ready to put out is almost done. I have a company called Dreams We Share, dreamsweshare.com. I've already released a few things. One is the Miyazaki album, Japanese saxophone player. Then Moses Conkers is a harmonica beatbox player. Amazing stuff. I mean, we have one tune on, on Dreams You Share that, uh, and the video. That, that the tune is something me and him play together at our European distributor that we recorded there. We, we jammed, and we called it Moonshines. David Rotondo is an amazing entertainer, singer, songwriter, harmonica player. I just produced his album. It's called So Much Trouble. That'll be on the uh, on our website and also uh, you know on Spotify and that. And then I got two albums of my own. One is called Never Forget, which is very symphonic rooted stuff. And then the other album is called Lee Oscar and Friends. It has lots of fun, beautiful stuff going on from reggae to world beat, you name it. Array of amazing music that I was really happy producing. That's pretty much done too. So, um, well, that's fantastic. I look forward to hearing all those things. Sounds like you've been really busy, Lee. So thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. That's it for today, folks. Final word from my sponsor, the Lone Wolf Blues Company, providing some great effects pedals and microphones, all purpose-built for the harmonica. Be sure to check out their website. Lee plays out with some fine blues. <laughs> <laughs>